0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
2: From the blackest corners of your mind, they call. Pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. It's been a little while since we've put a call out, but Tales to Terrify is looking for some new narrators to add to our roster. Representation in stories is something that's quite important to us. That means matching a story with an appropriate narrator whenever possible, particularly when a tale leans heavily on a specific culture and or history. To that end, we're currently on the hunt for a narrator who's fluent in Mandarin. If you or someone you know has a love of telling stories out loud, especially spooky ones, and can speak fluent Mandarin, visit TalesToTerrify.com slash narrate to check out our guidelines and submit an audition. You'll also need a decent microphone and a quiet room, of course. A bit of experience behind the mic would go a long way, too. And while we have a specific need for someone fluent in Mandarin right now, we're always looking to add diversity to our roster of fabulous narrators. So we'd love to hear new voices from other cultures, backgrounds, and places around the world as well. Again, that's TalesToTerrify.com slash narrate where you can find all of the details and submit an audition of your own. I look forward to hearing from you. In less stellar news, the horror film festival I meant to attend last weekend ended up being usurped by a horrifying stomach bug. So much for those recommendations I promised. You know what I do have for you, though? Some frightening audio fiction. We have one tale for you this evening which comes to us from Liam Hogan. Liam Hogan is an award-winning short story writer with stories in Best of British Science Fiction and in Best of British Fantasy. He's been published in Analog, Daily Science Fiction, and Flame Tree Press among others. He helps host Liars League London, volunteers at the Creative Writing Charity, Ministry of Stories, and lives and avoids work in London. You can find more details about Liam and his work at happyendingnotguaranteed.blogspot.co.uk Children of the night, join me for Liam Hogan's The Franklin
3: Clearance, a Tales to Terrify original. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: We pulled up in front of the gothic monstrosity of a house, the wide gravel path, a field of brown weeds. I wound the passenger side window down, letting in the autumn air and shivered. It's not too late, I said, listening to a hidden crow bark a warning. Bradley still had his hands on the steering wheel, Gran, I've taken a down payment. So give Mr. Franklin his money back. He had the good grace to look mildly embarrassed before he shook his head. I sighed and reached for the car door. Come on, then. Let's see what we're up against. I'd already seen pictures of the house and what little we'd been able to research. But... Those had been taken before it had stood empty for more than a dozen years. Before the Ghost Three stories tall, with windows way into the eaves, it was festooned with chimneys and turrets and spires, stood on its own a long way back from the road, hidden by trees and woods on all sides, not overlooked by any neighbors, and by my reckoning, best left well alone. It wasn't doing anyone any harm, us included. Let it rot, let it moulder. Such common sense takes a surprising number of years to cultivate, but maybe I would have been tempted when I was as young as my grandson was, especially for so generous a commission. Hell, I'd never even thought of asking for an advance payment. Truth was, I didn't need the money anymore. Bradley obviously did. My rule had always been to do it for the people, not the cash. Accept the fee as a thank you, as a recognition of what we'd gone through. As a promise to do their damnedest, to rid any last taint any lingering malaise to make it a home lived in and loved, the best defense against ill-tempered spirits. Getting rid of ghosts is never easy. Doing it to save a family home, there's honor in that. To save a crumbling pile so some distant relative can sell it to developers and finally reap a long-delayed inheritance... Less so. But Bradley, in addition to being kin, had his own needs. And he'd stuck by me when the job had become too much to tackle alone. So I figured I owed him. It was he who did the legwork nowadays, and, since the prang, he who drove my ugly brown and irreparably dented 1990s Rover Maestro. He called it the heap, and not in an affectionate way. Kept badgering me to exchange it for something at least two decades less out of date. Maybe an automatic with power steering that even I could manage. But I had no desire for modern, and no real desire to drive again, and besides, it helped make him feel useful. The wind shook the trees. "'scattering a few lingering leaves. "'They collected on the steps and the wooden veranda. "'Some of the ground-floor windows were boarded over. "'Otherwise, no doubt they'd be collecting inside as well. "'At least the roof looked solid, "'even if one of the turrets had shed most of its shingles. "'The building ought to still be sound. "'Sound and haunted.' "'Bradley was busy at the boot of the car "'gathering the kit we might need, "'lanterns and torches included. "'We'd arrived later than expected, "'having lost our way a couple of times, "'Bradley cursing the lack of a sat-nav "'as he played in vain with his phone. "'It seemed inevitable reception was going to be patchy. "'No cell towers in spots this remote. "'Ready?' I asked as he hoisted the heavy bag over his shoulder. He nodded, grim-faced, and I did my best to smile. Cheer up. What's the worst that could happen? He gave a short explosion of a laugh. After you, Gran. The last resident owner of the house, one Gregory Foster, lived there alone must have rattled around something awful. The closest thing we had to a floor plan suggested a grand total of six bedrooms. But, by all accounts, both he and everyone else was happier that way. It hadn't kept the recluse out of trouble, mind. As happens sometimes... The fact there was just one old guy living in a big secluded house and not emerging for weeks at an end had led to rumors. And the rumors had spread. An eccentric rich guy who slept on piles of cash. A pervert visited by underage call girls. Or call boys who never left the leader of an obscure terrorist group, meeting up in the dead of night with gun-toting foreign types to mastermind the downfall of decent British civilization. It was the reputed piles of cash that tempted three men who can't have been much older than Bradley. All this was pieced together after, of course. Whatever the 'er ne'er-do-wells saw... They didn't stick around, and for almost the whole week, they didn't say a word about their trip out to the woods. Then one of them got pulled over for suspected drink-driving, and under the gentlest of police rebukes, spilled his sorry story. How they'd assumed the place was empty, deserted even, until out of the eerie dark, They'd been attacked by a wild man, a savage, more beast than human. A wild man who was pushing eighty, unarmed, against three young men with crowbars and butcher's knives. Claims of self-defense were stretching credibility. The claw marks across the singing canary's neck and face merely attested to the homeowner's obvious desperation— in defending his home. A police car was rapidly dispatched, but by then Gregory Foster was long dead, having left a bloody trail from the front door to halfway up the staircase, where he had bled out, alone, unheeded. And if his destination had been a large wooden chest on the upper landing, He didn't make it. It was there that the police found the dead girl. No signs of assault, of being molested, but just as dead. Whether she asphyxiated or slowly perished due to lack of food, of water, the newspapers failed to specify. But in any case, she didn't stand a chance over the six days she'd been there. The main debate seemed to be whether Gregory or the three home invaders, should be blamed for her death. The papers couldn't decide, not even after a little digging identified her as Gregory's granddaughter, a renowned delinquent and substance abuser, prone to going missing and turning up months later begging for handouts. Not this time. No one had thought to check for her at her grandfather's house because, as far as anyone knew... They'd not been in touch for over a decade. No one had. All so far so normal, or at least as normal as you get when you're investigating the darker side of the supernatural. Ghosts that, through their own or other people's violence, somehow linger after death. And if that was all there was to it, Perhaps it would have been settled long before Bradley and I heard anything about it. The double staircase swept upwards to the upper floors, the dark wood giving way to a circular rose window with church, or at least chapel, pretensions. The combination looked almost like a pair of splayed hands, ready to catch a falling globe. Or skull, if you prefer. High above us, a chandelier hung askew, shrouded in thick cobwebs. Ugh, spiders, Bradley said. Wait, I tugged lightly on his shoulder. This is wrong. He rolled his eyes. Gran, we've been through... No. The house... Is wrong. I should have seen it from the outside. Maybe I am getting old. This looked and felt like some American Gothic pile, not an English manor house, not even a relatively recent, barely one hundred year old one. Double staircases and turrets. It was a mockery of what a haunted house ought to look like like something from a set for a cheesy Halloween horror film. All we were missing were the carved pumpkins and a nerve-jangling soundtrack. Damn, even the rose window was an inverted pentagram, the usual sharp angles softened by the curve of the stonework. My only excuse for not having spotted it immediately. The thing was proud to be sitting there the cherry on the cake. At least the cobwebs were intact. Nothing had disturbed them, not physically anyway, but that wasn't overly reassuring. If the house was wrong, and it was, I could feel it with every aged bone in my body. Then this thing hadn't started with Gregory Foster. Out. I ordered, leave the kit bag behind, just the compasses and the map. Gran, we're doing this old school, super cautious. A full recon of the grounds before we step another foot in this house. It's getting late, he muttered, chewing a lip shaded by three days of stubble. Then we'd best hurry. We'll want to check the outside while there's still light. And the inside, he said, lowering the bag to the parquet floor in a cloud of dust. Well, ghosts mainly come out at night, so... Bradley groaned. For someone who is supposedly following in my peculiar paranormal footsteps, he had a remarkable reluctance not to spend any time at all in the dark. Despite being twenty-four and built like a rugby player, he probably still slept with the light on. What do we know about whoever built this place? I asked as we started our loop at the stone wall the driveway cut through. The wall quickly gave way to trees, as if it couldn't be bothered holding up all the pretense as if it knew there were other defences, or at least no close neighbors. Bradley paused, holding the map on which the supposed boundary was picked out in blue ink. There was little sign of it on the ground, which was slick with yellow and brown leaves. An American or Canadian, the details are sketchy. A few name changes in his history haven't helped. Though the one that persists is Professor Strode, an academic, a magician, his stage name, quite successful by all accounts, toured all over the States and was, evidently, wealthy enough to commission this fever-dream nightmare of a house, employing architects on both sides of the Atlantic. I nodded, though, as Bradley was in front of me, forging his way through the undergrowth, he wouldn't have seen it. It figured. Only someone with a theatrical eye would have built something with quite so many gothic flourishes. Only a foreigner would have ended up with a house that so abjectly failed to fit in, even if it was mostly hidden. Why England? I asked, not expecting an answer. Bradley's other talents, besides being able-bodied and included online research, Mostly genealogy. Census data, deaths, births, marriages. Full biographies or newspaper accounts were rarer. Knowing the why of something rarer still. Bad seance, he quipped. Seems Professor Strode bit off more than he could chew with his spiritual performances. One of the Chicago newspapers had it in for him. Charlatan and fake "'in even less charitable terms, "'hounding him out of town and out of America. "'Guess England was a new start. "'Or an ending. "'His retirement, more likely. "'He was almost seventy by then. "'And you didn't think to mention "'this architect and dabbler in the occult sooner?' "'He stopped in his tracks, "'turned and looked back at me, eyebrows raised. "'Well, no. "'I figured it didn't figure.' How so? Because he never took up residence. Professor Strode went down with the Lusitania in 1915. Hmm. I wasn't sure that let Bradley entirely off the hook. Who inherited? No will, he said, breaking the stems of some tall nettles with his boots. But only one living relative, a niece, who was living in England at the time, perhaps another reason for his return. But she never lived here either, or, not for long, possibly because of inheritance tax? The house passed out of the family hands while still effectively brand new. The path through the trees opened up onto what might have once been a lawn, though it'd take a landscape gardener and possibly a small digger before it would be again. I thought Mr. Foster was our ghost. It may be more complicated than that. It often is. We waded through brambles and thistles and tall grasses until we were directly behind the house, from where we could look up at that rose window. At our backs, the skeletal trees held their breath. Is that... "'Bradley said, squinting as the sandstone and lead "'were lit by the warm gold of the evening sun. "'A pentagram? Yes.' "'Subtle. South-facing. "'I checked the compass in my hand just to confirm. "'Yes, though that's probably like most stained-glass rose windows.' "'Most rose windows aren't portals to hell,' he observed and it was kind of hard to disagree. I'm not a big believer in hell, or heaven either, for that matter, or demons summoned by black-clad, satanic priests with their naked virgins and smoky candles and salt pentagrams. Sure, I've seen more than a fair share of spooky, inexplicable things in my life, but I wasn't persuaded things were quite so clear-cut as good versus evil. Take ghosts. I'd made a reputation as someone who could rid a house of them, and I had more times than perhaps I wanted to recount. For the most part, despite conventional wisdom, they did not seem to be spirits who had left something undone in their lives, who needed closure before they could head into the light, be it up or down. True, I'd never seen a happy ghost, or at least never been called upon to get rid of one. So yes, they frequently had their origins in some terrible deed, a psychic shockwave that imprinted into the fabric of a building. But not for any obvious reason. Vengeance didn't really work as a motivation when the ghost of a victim commonly outlived "'those who had done him in. "'If we were to go merely on Gregory Foster's abrupt, pointless end, "'we might conclude that here was a tormented soul, "'violently reacting to strangers, "'who would never find peace "'until he somehow made it all the way up those stairs "'to free his granddaughter, "'which didn't explain why she was in the chest in the first place.' She was a bit old for a game of hide-and-seek gone wrong. But that wasn't the only plot hole in the story, nor did it explain the reported sightings and incidents since Gregory had died. Though such reports were, understandably, suspect, a single malevolent spirit did not appear to fit the bill. Multiple phantasms! particularly active, and they weren't centered on the stairs where Mr. Foster had met his possibly tragic end. They pervaded the whole house, inside and out, workmen pushed off ladders, power tools malfunctioning in the worst possible way, cleaners who would barely get a chance to pull on their rubber gloves before fleeing the house and swearing to never return. It was almost surprising that the broken windows had been boarded up, so bad a reputation did the house have. And it wasn't just people doing maintenance. There had been a few local disappearances, drunkards, strays, misfits, people who generally weren't missed. But still. The police had searched both house and grounds, presumably reluctantly, and each time found nothing untoward. But still, the reputation grew. It was odd there hadn't been an attempt to burn the place down, if not by the owner, then by someone, anyone else. Probably it had been protected by the legal wrangling that had only just been resolved. Unlike Professor Strode, with his single relative, this one had taken thirteen years and a clutch of lawyers, and I suspected the new owner had sunk in a not insignificant investment to buy out the others with a claim. Whether he'd done so in full knowledge of the supernatural baggage he'd purchased or not, whether he even believed, he was eager now to get it resolved as quickly as possible. Which was where Bradley had come in. We'd put it off long enough. There was nothing odd outside the house. Most importantly, there were no signs of recent trespass, human or otherwise. No temperature anomalies, no magnetic disturbances large enough to show up on the compasses, and exactly zero apparitions. Quite honestly, I hadn't expected much, either outside or in. Detectable, measurable signs of the supernatural are as rare as hen's teeth. Most hauntings were no more than a raised hackle or two, the uneasy sense of a presence rather than actual, verifiable evidence. But that was usually more than enough, certainly to put off any prospective buyer. We make such momentous decisions on the immediate feel of a place. It doesn't matter how well-appointed it is if it feels wrong. With the sun kissing only the high chimney, having dipped beneath the trees, we didn't have long until dusk. Time to turn our attention indoors. The stretch of legs had done me in my mood a world of good. I was much more upbeat than upon our arrival after the long drive. Sure, it was a uniquely gloomy building in its current state, but this could be a decent home, albeit an eccentric one. Surrounded by woods, this was somewhere to grow a large and boisterous family. All we had to do was get rid of the ghost, or ghosts, plural, be they Mr. Foster, his granddaughter, or someone, or something else entirely. Thankfully, you didn't need to know the identity, or even the cause of a haunting. Like any unwelcome guest, you persuaded them to leave by making things as uncomfortable for them as you could, which meant, for most ghosts, bright lights and loud noises and even smells. Bradley's hold-all contained any number of essential oils, as sometimes it was all a bit trial and error. At least he didn't need to carry and play musical instruments or horse skulls The well-founded Irish tradition of installing one beneath the floorboards, which, resonating with the clatter of a good noisy Cayley, would keep the house free of spirits for the year ahead. Nowadays, we carried a CD boombox almost as ancient as the car. We needed the thumping bass only it could provide. All we had to do was work out where best to stage our assault. This shouldn't be here. What? The overly grand stairs led to a balcony that ran three sides of a square, off of which were the first-floor rooms. Mostly, it was a narrow corridor, but on the opposite side to the rose window slash portal to hell... It deepened into a small gallery, in the middle of which sat the chest. This shouldn't be here. If this was the one, and it must be, the police would have taken it away as evidence. And if they took it, there's no way they would have returned it to an empty house, to a crime scene. Okay, then... I don't know. I stared at it for a moment. It was a large, plain, wooden chest, stained black. The sort you might store spare bedding or blankets in. Probably too heavy to be moved around much. I suppose it was about the size of a large steamer trunk. But there were no handles, no adornments at all, except a heavy metal loop one you could have put a padlock through to secure a lid, if the lid had the metal retainer that fitted over it, which it did not, not any more. The chest was obviously older than the house, which worried me. Where had it come from? Had Professor Strode sent it in advance of his non-arrival? His worldly possessions on a slower cargo ship? rather than the ill-fated Lusitania? Open it. You're joking. I am not Bradley Kalin. We're here to do a job, remember? One you agreed to without discussing with me first. He grunted, shook his head as he put his fingers to the lip. As he tried to lift the tight-fitting wooden lid, I steeled myself, imagining the worst a motley collection of bones, a mummified corpse, or something fresher. The lid gave with a creak and a grunt, and the chest was, of course, empty. Not even a spider to call it home. We both breathed again as I shone my torch into the dark corners. I don't think Bradley noticed the scratches in the lid before he replaced it. They looked like those a small animal a cat or a dog might make, or a human. Not very long nails, most humans. I took a deep breath, smelt the musty, stale air, felt the oppression closing in, the dark gathering around us. Right. Here will do. Let's do a quick sweep of the rest of the house first. Check we haven't missed anything. I'll take this floor, you the rooms above. Reconvene on the ground floor for coffee and sunset. Before we start... Operation Uninvited Ghost. The first weapon of a paranormal investigator is caffeine. Keeping awake during the witching hour was never easy. Especially as nothing might happen forever. Hours at an end. The risk was you'd slip into a half sleep, awake with a start, convinced that whatever had invaded your dreams was real and a threat. The duffel bag Bradley had carried contained three thermoses, two slender, all metal modern things that stayed warm for hours, and an ancient industrial beast. "'that was older than Bradley and had seen a lot more of the world. "'I was thinking more about that thermos than the contents of the echoingly empty rooms "'as I sped through them, shining the torch into the dark corners and recesses. "'The lack of furniture just made the presence of that old chest all the more ominous.' With the chasm of the double stairwell taking a king-kong-sized bite out of the floor plan, there weren't that many rooms on the first floor. A couple of decent-sized L-shaped bedrooms, a tiled bathroom, and a brace of thinner rooms that, from the built-in shelves, might have been a study and a walk-in dresser, respectively. The rest of the bedrooms must be up above. "'presumably odd shapes carved out of the eaves and roof space with sloping walls. "'The jangled tetris of chimneys and brick buttresses "'needing a pair of steep and narrow staircases to access them all. "'I was glad to leave it to Bradley. "'The heap was still visible in the thickening dusk outside "'as I arrived back down by the front door. "'slightly out of breath, but buoyed by the lack of any serious threat. "'There was a cloying, unwelcome presence, sure, "'but I suspected the litany of workmen's accidents "'had been because they had been distracted by nerves "'and things glimpsed in the corners of the eye, "'rather than by physical manifestations or attacks.' Whatever clobbered me, clobbered me as I was bending over the duffel, already tasting the strong, black coffee. As black as the pit I fell into, even before I hit the floor. Consciousness returned slowly and brought with it a legion of aches, some dull, some less so. I wasn't sure how long I had lain there, but by then the house was dark other than the silvery light of a full moon that filtered through the rose window, shining somewhere above and to my left. As I staggered to my feet, I put my hand in something warm and wet. Coffee. The thermos was broken, and my groan echoed through the dismal hallway. Bradley, I called, tentative, head throbbing with every movement. And then again, louder, driving nails into my skull. Bradley! There was silence. And then something came swooping down the staircase, a cold, dark wind that had me cringing back onto the ground pain lancing the matted side of my head. "'Ah, yes,' the voice whispered. "'Knowledge, and need, you'll do.' I recoiled from the blackness that hovered around me. Despite the frigid air, I was clammy, as if I was suffering from a fever and had veered from hot sweats to chilly cold. "'What have you done with Bradley?' I did my best to ask with outraged belligerence. But even to my own ears, it sounded weak and pitiful. Your grandson? Oh, he's quite safe. For the moment. Don't be afraid. Here, let me show you what we can offer. I steeled myself for an attempted possession the battle of wits that I wished I'd felt better prepared for, the onslaught of emotions and fears designed to break me, to weaken me enough for a spirit to take over. It didn't come. And as I tentatively relaxed my taut body, I realized something had changed, something astonishing. The nagging pain was gone, even the flare of the headache. I felt strong and vital and young. I stared down at beautiful hands, no wrinkles, no liver spots, no palsied muscles, hairs standing on end, which they hadn't done for years. And I could tell without looking. The rest of me was the same. I felt wonderful, marvelously alive. See? Not so bad, is it? And it can be yours, Audrey. Forever. What would I need to do? I said through gritted teeth. And even they felt bloody amazing. Do? Oh, nothing. Take it easy. Relax. The change will be permanent soon. Once we complete the transfer, not long now. Why don't you go for a walk, Audrey? We'll call you when it's done. I'd like to excuse myself, to claim the blow to my head fuddled my senses, but it hadn't. Or rather, not in this blissful state, this abrupt return to my vigorous prime. I saw what was being offered immediately, and what it would cost. A transfer, the ghoulish presence had said. "'From Bradley to me. "'And damn if that didn't sound great! "'Youth was wasted on the young. "'Bradley, what was he even doing with his life? "'Flitting from odd job to odd job, "'not making a success of any of them. "'Not even this one. "'Not even with someone willing to take him under their wing.' He followed my orders well enough, but what was he actually learning? He'd be lost, utterly lost, without me. All the things I could do, all the wonderful, amazing, virtuous things I could do with a second chance. A perfect marriage of youth and wisdom, an opportunity. Opportunity to do so much more than my first time around, perhaps even to find love. There was a feminine stirring, a yearning long denied, a passion I hadn't felt for years, for decades, an insatiable urge that had my body quivering. And all it would take was for me to do nothing, to let things take their course, let the ritual, now thirteen years old, complete, to let Bradley... Yes, yes, whispered the entity, sacrifice and supplicant. All that I am could be yours forever and ever. I yanked the string between my fingers. The magnesium flare spat and guttered and caught. The light, too bright to look at, chasing the crazy shadows away. There was a howl of anger and anguish, and a wave of hatred rocked me. When it was gone, I was old once again, old and insanely tired. I looked up to a clatter of something falling from above, just fragments of plaster, but enough of a warning. I half threw myself, half stumbled to the side as the swinging chandelier crashed to the floor. Smashing into the bare boards, and sending what remained of strings of cut-glass gems skittering to the corners and to the first steps of the stairs. I could feel it. Gregory? And something else, lurking just out of sight, out of range, startled and annoyed, and yet not wanting to push the matter. Why not? It knew my name, my weaknesses, had plucked them out of me as easily as if they were being served on a platter. Supplicant. That didn't sound at all like the power play the entity had been suggesting. Promising. That sounded more like slavery of sorts. If I let the ghost in, who then would be in charge? It wasn't worth it. It never was. Tempting though it might all be. So terribly tempting. But where was Bradley? Even if he hadn't heard me call, the falling chandelier had rocked the entire house. And how long had it been since he had disappeared up to the top floor? The white flame in my hand faded the air thick with the smoke from the dead flare, the light from above cutting through it, showing exactly where the moon was shining. The satanic window was high above. The gable wall it was in higher even than most of the steep roof with its twists and gimmicks. The moonlight through it fell onto the balcony above, onto the gallery. I checked my watch. The face badly cracked, but still ticking, still holding time, not long to midnight. It was a full moon, so at midnight, or near enough, it would be at its peak, just as the sun had been twelve hours earlier. The rose projected its shadow pentagram, the pentagram tracing a slow arc across the landing above, until it hit the chest. Of course, how slow my brain was thinking, how much slower than normal, as if reluctant to act. I sighed, (sighs) dragged my weary bones up the steps, clinging to the banisters, the varnish peeling and lodging under my nails, the pain, a welcome distraction. A giggling voice chattered in my ears, reminding me of all I had lost through the many years. The easy delights of youth, pleasures I had almost forgotten existed. I let it chatter away, better than being clobbered around the head again. I had a sneaking suspicion they, Gregory and whatever was behind this Faustian pact, didn't think I'd survive a second assault. I had a sneaking suspicion they were right. But mostly, I think they wanted, maybe needed, my cooperation, even if that was just me failing to get up those damned stairs quick enough. At the top, I guess they thought I'd gotten quite far enough. As I staggered along the balcony, The darkness coalesced into falling masonry, into gaping holes in the floor below, into a choking sulfurous cloud. I ignored the visions as best I could, unable, in any case, to do much about them. In the gallery, the shadow pentagram was almost touching the chest. I guessed whatever the ritual was, it would complete when the chest was in its dead center but I guess I couldn't wait that long. I lurched towards it, almost falling on something. Bradley's torch. It was an old-fashioned thing, the batteries numerous and heavy, the closest thing I had to a weapon. I thumbed the switch, but nothing happened, the bulb gone the same way as my thermos. The mosquito whine of a scream was deafening as I wrapped my fingers around the narrow lip of the chest and pulled, and pulled, and pulled, to no avail. Laughter echoed around me, rising in pitch until hysterical. I sank to my knees. If only I was young. Yes, hissed the voice. You can be. With a shake of my head, I grabbed the torch, placed it just under the wooden lip, and thumped my fist hard against the rear. The lid jolted, but not by much. I did it again and again and again. The hand holding the torch spasming, the fist hitting the base, letting loose a sharp crack as I yelled in hot agony. "'Give up, Audrey. There is no shame. "'You tried your best. "'But you were too late. Too late!' "'The moonlight played across what I was doing "'like a theatrical spotlight. "'Final act, waiting for the curtain to fall. "'Damn you to hell!' "'I roared, switching the body of the torch between my hands "'and hit again with my left. "'With a clatter, the lid jolted from the top of the chest "'and slid to the floor, narrowly missing my foot, "'which, even with my sensible shoes, "'would have been the end of my ankle. "'As the echo ebbed away, I shifted forward and up, "'staring into the darkness of the chest. "'For a moment, Nothing happened. And then a ghostly white hand gripped the side. Wide, staring eyes blinked piteously into the stark moonlight. Gran, I don't know how I got him out of there. He sure as hell wasn't any help. I almost fell a number of times as I dragged him down the stairs, cursing him. "'kicking him into a sluggish action. "'The heckling presence seethed around us, "'fingers jabbing, nails scratching, "'teeth snapping at our heels. "'Leaving everything we'd brought with us behind, "'we plunged into the night, "'the porch of the house in its deepest shadow. "'But the full moon lit up the rover "'like it was the glittering prize it was.' the windscreen gleaming like a beautiful mirror. We sat in the heap for a long while, me in the driver's seat, Bradley hunched up in the passengers, stooped and hugging his knees, as I tried to dissect what had just happened, work out what to do next. I guessed, though I had no definite way of knowing, that back thirteen years ago, those gate-crashers had interrupted Gregory's ritual. The sacrifice had been taken, but the supplicant was unable to take the promised reward. Was that why he had instead become such a persistent, powerful ghost? Had that been the revised deal? His return of youth postponed until the next family duo could be tempted into the same one-sided deal. If so, was that deal still on? Phone, I demanded. It took a couple more repeated requests before Bradley handed it over. I quickly found the email chain and the attached phone number, and gave it a ring. Hello, mail, clipped quite certain of himself. Mr. Franklin, this is Audrey Callan. You hired my grandson to help you with a property clearance. A pause. Yes? The house is fine, Mr. Franklin, run down and in need of some renovations, but structurally, spiritually, fine. Thank God for that but I don't think you'll be able to sell it. Oh, there's a box, a chest. I'm afraid it's cursed. Well, can't you? I took a look at Bradley, hunched up and shivering in the passenger seat. He wouldn't be good for any heavy lifting anytime soon. And me? Could I coax him back into the house? How easily could I convince him to get back into that chest? No, I said. We can't help you there. Blast it! What the hell do you think I'm paying you for? The advance will be returned, Mr. Franklin. Ah, well. May I offer you some advice? For free. Another pause. Go on. The chest will sour the immediate impression of anyone who views the property. So, if you are determined to sell it, and I am sure you are, I suggest you wait about two weeks, to when the moon is new, a mere sliver in the sky, and then, preferably in bright sunshine, drag that infernal chest out of the house into the grounds and burn it to hell. This time I could almost hear him thinking, calculating, counting a sale not yet made. And that will end it, will it? Yes, I should think so. To be certain, though, make sure you see to it yourself. How old are you, Mr. Franklin? What the devil? Forty-two, if you must know. Is that somehow relevant? It might be, I thought. As I hung up, a 42-year-old man with wealth, he'd be convinced he was at the prime of his life. I wasn't sure the chest would have much, if anything, to offer him. Still, I hoped he did what I had suggested. I hoped that would be the end of it. But just in case, I deleted the message history and the contact details and, for good measure, blocked the number. "'Bradley might be able to reverse that, if he looked closely enough. "'But I wanted to leave as small a trace as possible. "'Franklin was on his own. "'I crunched the maestro into gear, grimacing at the ugly noise, "'glad it was my right hand that was so battered, so broken. "'I'd forgotten how temperamental a beast the heap was. I wondered how far I'd have to drive it before Bradley recovered enough to take over. Not far, but far enough, I hoped. In the rear view, under the silvery light of a full moon, just beginning its descent, the house watched us leave and did not say a word.
2: That was Liam Hogan's The Franklin Clearance, as read by Josie Babin. Living in that formerly abandoned house on the corner, the one across the street from the cemetery, the one with all those cats lounging about, you will find Josie happily narrating horror stories. No one has seen her human companion lately, but the cats do look well-fed. Not that those things have anything to do with one another. In between stories, she works on a long list of house projects and car projects. But best of all, she gets to work on lab projects, growing cells into medicine, hopefully making the world a little healthier in the not-so-far-off future. If you're ever in San Diego, stop by to say hi. She'll introduce you to her cats. Thank you, Josie. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lesel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch Will take you to our T Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew sebastiani with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we explore forbidden lore with more Tales to Terrify.